0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for February 10th, 2008. And today we're going to be, I guess the title would technically be Biblical Angels. How do they always appear in the Bible? And this whole subject of female angels with wings and also the subject of halos. Because there's a lot of misinformation about there in regard to these subjects. And there's a lot of people that are into the New Age heavily, that are absolutely obsessed with angels. And we need to actually be able to discern what is an actual good angel and what is an actual bad angel, according to the Bible. So, what does the word angel mean? The word is translated to read, essentially a messenger. It's it's translated from the word angelo, which means to deliver a message. Now, this is what you commonly think of like Gabriel, Gabriel. As the messenger angel in the Bible, he was the one always represented that way. Uh, But angelic beings are of God and, and are those created beings who do his will and do his bidding. The Bible speaks of three types of angelic beings. Now, I don't call the first two technically angels. Because in regard to the Bible, biblical angels always will typically appear as men. Whereas seraphim and cherubim, which is what we're going to discuss right now just briefly, uh, this is a different deal altogether. But they are angelic beings. Okay? Now, the cherubim in the Bible are represented with uh, a, a angelic being with two wings and four faces. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into a study on these, but that's a general guide, outline. Uh, the Bible refers to Satan as a fallen cherubim. Okay, They call him the anointed cherub that covereth in Ezekiel 28.14. And it, it, exactly reading, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So, when people say that Satan is a fallen angel, I hear this a lot in Pentecostal circles, it's really not the actual case. He's a fallen cherubim, okay? which is actually a higher order of angels. He was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, essentially. And he was at a higher level than most of the standard angels that we read about in the Bible. Uh, not to say that they're not at high levels. okay? But I think it's important to make that distinction. And then we have what they call the seraphim, which have six wings. And you can read about that in Isaiah 6-2. And they are around the throne of God as well. okay? The regular angels, which are angels of the Bible that commonly interact with people, as we will see, always appear as men. Always. Doesn't mean they are men. I'm saying that's the way they appear when they appear in the Bible. So angels are also referred to as ministering spirits, flames of fire. Uh, it says that in Hebrews 1.7. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Who maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. We are told that the righteous have angels of God around them to protect them and to help them overcome evil. The Bible says in Psalm uh, 34, 7, this is a verse I commonly quote, The angel of the Lord encampeth around, around them that fear him and delivereth them. So fear of the Lord is actually prerequisite for good angels, if you will, encamping around about you. If you have no fear of God in your life, if you are just doing what you're doing, well, don't really expect to have angelic protection according to this verse. So then we are also told that children have angels. In Matthew 18.10, it says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say, and this is Jesus talking, For I say unto you that in heaven their angels always do behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So I believe children have, it's very clear they have angels as well. Now, the reason I'm doing this teaching is over the years I've gotten several questions about this. And and I I got a question this week uh, from a, a Christian lady that emailed me. And she had a friend that had inquired to her about the angels, about the woman angels in Zechariah 5. And she was actually using Zechariah 5 as a proof text that women angels are okay. And actually, when I responded to her, I told her, I said, that's the proof text to prove that they're not okay, that they're evil, that they're demonic, because the Bible says it right there that that this is wicked. So we're going to go through that. But first, we're going to look at, okay, how do angels always appear in the Bible, so we can kind of establish that as our foundation. Uh, Many biblical accounts of angels physically manifesting themselves to God's people show that they always appear as men. For example, Genesis 18 describes a time when the three men visited Abraham. One of them was actually the angel of the Lord, and the other two were angels appearing as men. So let's just, we're going to read that real quick. Genesis 18, verse 1 and 2. Genesis 18, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and this is to Abraham, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of of the day, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood before him. And this is Abraham. He looked, and lo, three men stood before him. That's how they appeared, as men. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord... So he realized these were more than men. Okay? He says, My Lord, with a capital L. Okay, now remember, it said, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And then it goes on to tell this, this story, how he interacted here. Um, so that's, I believe, the first example in the Bible of, of an angel in this, in, in this regard. This was an angel of the Lord. This actually, one of these angels, most likely, is the Lord himself. So if we go further, later the angel of the Lord stayed behind with Abraham, and the two angels went on to the city of Sodom. This was right before Sodom and Gomorrah happened, okay? This is the precursor to that, Genesis 18. Then it says, notice the continuation of the account in Genesis 19.1, and I think let's go ahead and read that now, Genesis 19.1. <clears throat> now, this, these are the two angels coming into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, and Lot is there. Okay, so, and there came two angels to Sodom at evening, and this is where we get the word sodomite, this is where we get the word um, sodomy, because in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were sodomizing each other, okay, the men of the city were essentially all homosexual, and, and I mean it had taken over the whole city, and we'll see how bad it actually was. It got so bad, God had to rain down fire and brimstone, because judgment was the only thing that was going to cure and remedy this situation, unfortunately. So it says, And there came two angels in from Sodom at even, meaning evening, when you see that word even in the King James, it means evening. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now these two angels, as we're going to see, were mistaken. Were mistaken for human men, and we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, but you look at here, and, and you know, Lot sat at the gate in Sodom. Notice he was at ease there. He had gotten so used to the world, he was actually in the gate. It was like no big deal. Hey, I'm I'm here. I know it's a wicked, wicked place, but he sat in the gate. Um, but when he saw these two men, he could see an immediate difference in them. Notice that it wasn't just like they were normal so yes they appear as men but it appears always that people in the bible that are bible believers can always notice the difference very very quickly okay and then it goes on to say and he said behold now my lord's turn in behold now my lord's turn in i pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go your ways and they said, "Nay, but we will abide in the street all night," meaning he was inviting them into his house to spend the night, you know, to to uh, to stay. And then in verse three it says, "And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into him and entered into his house." And the reason that, that Lot was pressing unto them so greatly, not only did he have, a, I believe, a tremendous respect, but he also knew <laughs> he also knew the people of the city. He also knew what was going to happen. So then he goes. And he entered in the house, and he made them a feast, and he did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. I reason he probably break, uh, baked unleavened bread is because leaven is always a type of sin. And when you eat the unleavened bread in the Passover and these types of things, it's, it's, a, it's like a sign of like washing yourself from the sin. You're not partaking of any sin, this type of thing. So that's most likely why he, why he did that. Uh, and then it said, and they did eat. Now, they also ate in um, Genesis 18. So angels can actually eat food. Okay, that's another thing people don't. They think of them as purely a, a ethereal, spiritual being that cannot do I believe that many times, yes, they, they, can, they will appear that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in that box that they can't do the th- same things that we do. Okay? So if we go further... But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the peoples from every quarter. Now look, this is insane. So, you've got the men of Sodom, the infamous men of Sodom, they compassed round about the house, about both the old and the young, all the people from every quarter. We're talking like the mega gay day parade. Okay. They were, they were like surrounding the thing. Now, I believe most of the time when these angels appear, they appear as really, really, really good looking men. Okay? So these guys were like, these homosexuals were like, who knows what they were thinking. But they were so wanting to have their way with these men that that every single person came from the whole city and got around the house. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. And, and again, notice, these angels do not appear as these sexless beings. They always, they, they appear as men. And this is a good point. Um, well, let's read this next verse. So verse 5, And, and they called unto law and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? So they're at the door. And they're saying, Where are these men that came to you? And then, then they said to him, Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Now, the King James Bible is very polite in the way that it puts things. Okay? But when they're talking, they want to know them, and we know we're in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can figure out the rest. Okay? So, I believe this was probably standard procedure in this city. It had gotten that bad. And if you let the gays take over which is exactly what's happened here in the city this is the logical end outcome i'm not saying this is going to happen at the beginning i'm saying that if you let them take over okay ultimately this is how it's going to end up where they're going to want to have their way with whoever they want to have it with it's why it's one of the reasons god had to destroy the world because it says on uh, men's minds were on evil continually okay so he had to he had to wipe out the world He repented that he had even made the world. He only saved Noah. He only saved eight people at that point. Because the world was so corrupted. And the Bible says, As it was in the days of Noah, So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, we're in the same days. You, You look around, you wonder why it's so wicked. It's the same way it was in Noah's day. It's the same way it was in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. And that's why I keep saying judgment from God is really eminent. Because if you look at all the biblical precedent. You know, what happened once is going to happen again. So, if we go further, I'll just go ahead and read through. And Lot went out the door unto them, shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Why would he call him brethren? <laughs> brethren? Now, Lot was not a homosexual. He was not a sodomite. He was not that, okay? But he goes out he says, I pray you, brethren, Do not so wickedly. So we know that when they asked that we may know them, this was the worst case scenario that we may know them, okay? Because he he recognized that and said, why do you want to do this so wickedly? Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as, as it is good in your eyes. Now, I don't understand this at all. I will never understand this verse not on this side of heaven. I don't understand it, but that's what Lot did. He basically said, "Here, have my two daughters. These are two essentially. Uh, granted, they're angels, but they're they're not as family. I mean, it's not like they're two strangers. I don't understand they're angels, but you know what? Angels are big boys. They can handle themselves. I don't care if there was a whole city of San Francisco coming after them. <laughs> that's no problem. And we're going to see that it was no problem for them. So." I don't know, but the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. It, sa- it said that uh, um, Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day, basically in the things that he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. It says that over in the, uh, over in the New Testament, Hebrews. So, I don't know, but this is what he did. And then, it sa- then he goes on to say, "...only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof." And they said unto him, stand back, and they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. In other words, they're, they're calling Lot now a hypocrite, because they said, you came in to sojourn to live with us, and now you're going to judge us? He's really right! The, the homosexuals, the sodomites, were really right. Because they're like, hey, you came to live with us, now you're going to judge us? I don't think so. Hey, you, you go, you, you lay down with dogs, and you get fleas, you know, you don't judge the dogs anymore. Well, that's what he was doing. So he says, This fellow came into sojourn, he will needs to be a judge. Now we will deal with thee we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to the to break the door. So now they were going to get Lot too. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot in the house. Now these are the angels. Also, it's an interchangeable term. They refer to men, angels, okay? It doesn't mean that they are okay, just pure men. Okay. Obviously they are angels, but The Bible refers to them, but the men put forth their hand, pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And then it says, and then they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness. That's what the angels did. They blinded them all. I could say angels are big boys. (laughs) They don't need, (laughs) they don't need human intervention, okay? We need their intervention of anything. So, and then it says, both small and great, so that they were wearied themselves to find the door. Do you understand what this is saying here? It says even after the angels blinded these sodomites, they still were trying to find the door. You would have thought they would have got the the hint. At that point, fear of God maybe? No, no. We are so demon-possessed to the toenails that we're still going to weary ourselves to find that door so we can sodomize those men. That's pretty bad. But that's what it's saying here. The sin at that point had such power over them they unredeemable okay totally unredeemable at that point well then somebody can say well yeah but Jesus came to seek and save the lost and, and these types of things yes but there's a point that everyone gets to where where they have a choice okay and where that line is I don't know that's a, that's between a person and God but God the Bible says the spirit of man will all, the spirit of God will not always strive with man forever you just don't get infinite numbers of chances to get saved, okay? You need to come to the Lord while the Holy Spirit is wooing you and tugging at your heartstrings, okay? you. you and these guys were way beyond that point, okay? These guys were given over a reprobate mind. They wouldn't have changed if they could have, okay? They had no conviction of sin. They had no conscience anymore. Their conscience had been seared with a hot iron, as according to 1 Timothy 4, one. So, and that's the problem with homosexuality and sodomy that's such a level of demon possession when you get into that stuff that if you stay in it it's its its I mean there's very 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 low likelihood you're going to get saved I'm not saying it can't happen but I'm saying the Bible says that these people are turned over to a reprobate mind to do these things which are not convenient according to Romans, verse, uh, Romans chapter 1 so and then it says in verse 12 and then the men said unto Lot hast thou any besides now these are the angels again now, I'm saying this, not really because I'm wanting to do a study on this, but to prove the point that these angels are referred to as men in the Bible. And there's only one time in the Bible, where any angelic beings that look and appear as women are referred to, and we're going to see that, that that one portion of Scripture is referred to as wickedness. Okay? But we'll get to that in a second. So then the men said unto law, hast though. Hast here any besides. Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. In other words, the angels are asking Lot, well, do you have anybody else in your family? And then, the reason that the angels are asking him that is because of what it says in verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. See, it got so bad, God had to destroy it. The place was unredeemable. these people were not going to change. They were not going to repent. They were going to keep doing what they're doing. And see, God hears the cries. Particularly of the little ones. Okay, the little children. Can you imagine what they were doing to the children in Sodom and Gomorrah? They were defiling them. They were sodomizing them at the earliest possible ages. Because if you stick with Satan, he will take you to the depths of depravity every single time. This is where they were at. Okay, so... He had to destroy it. He, God had no choice. Verse 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Get up you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto, the, unto his sons-in-law. Well, if you think about it, here you are, a righteous man, you come into the city, you have daughters, why would you let your daughters marry these guys in this city? I mean, you can't exactly say this was marriage material, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the result of that was that when he went to his sons-in-law, they they didn't take him seriously at all. It was as, it, the Bible says, Lot seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They didn't take him seriously one bit. Okay, verse fifteen. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife. Now it says the angels this time. They're using the term angels and men actually interchangeably. But, uh, again, they are two different things. Hasten Lot, arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. And while he lingered, the men, again we go back to calling the angels men, laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth, and set him without the city. Okay, and and we don't need to go any further, but you can see how many times those terms were interchangeable there. Uh, Let's see here, let's go a little bit further now. We already read 10 through 16, so... In the New Testament, we find angels appearing as men. When comparing, um, if we read Mark 16, verse 1 through 6, let's just read that. Now we can go to the New Testament. And let's see if, let's see if the uh, same thing applies over here, which it does. Mark 16, 1 through 6. Mark sixteen one through six. And when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. This, they were coming to anoint um, the body of Jesus Christ. This was after the crucifixion. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, this was Sunday, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun, and they said on, among themselves, "Who shall roll away the stone?" from the door of the sepulcher. I mean, they had this gigantic, huge stone that was rolled over the uh, sepulcher of Jesus Christ. And then it said in verse 4, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And, the entering, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a wh- long white garment, and they were affrighted. Uh, now, this was an angel, but he appeared as a young man. Okay? And he said unto them, This is the angel, be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. This was the very, very first proof that Jesus Christ had rose from the dead. He wasn't in the grave. You look at Buddha, you look at um Krishna, you look at Muhammad, they're all still in the grave. Okay? Jesus Christ. He's not in the grave anymore. That's one of his many distinctions. Okay? That he is totally different than any other god that's ever been, you know, propagated on this planet. And, well, we could get into, go down that rabbit trail quite far. But this is just one of the many proofs. Okay? So, let's go then to Matthew 28, 1 through 4. Matthew 28, 1 through 4. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began do- to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his rain was white as snow. And notice it says his countenance. It doesn't say her countenance. Okay, his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, meaning his clothing. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. See, angels can strike big time fear in you if they manifest in their full angelic form. Oh, yeah, we'll see how big and bad somebody thinks they are if one of these angels shows up. Okay, so it, he came, he showed up, he rolled the stone away. No big deal. And obviously, the Bible refers to him as him. Okay, so this is just another con- another confirmation of that that they they don't appear as females. Okay, now I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just being biblical. Okay, um, this is just the way the Bible always depicts the angels. Um, now this account is also depicted in Luke twenty four one through four. Let's go ahead and look at that, just so we have a lot of confirmation about this particular subject, Luke 24, 1 through 4. Now upon the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. They entered in and found not the body of Jesus, the body of the Lord Jesus. But hold on, the Discovery Channel and the History Channel are saying they've got, they found the lost tomb of Jesus now. They're finding all these, these Gnostic Gospels, which are occult Gospels, that are saying that, you know, Jesus never was crucified, none of that never happened, he actually married Mary Magdalene, they went and had kids up in Europe. No lie! They're saying this stuff! I've done several teachings on it. This is where they believe the Merovingian bloodline came from, which is the bloodline of many kings over in Europe. They believe they're direct descendants from Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. They called Mary Magdalene the Holy Grail, because she was the receptacle for Jesus' child. You know the whole thing about the Holy Grail and King Arthur and all that other stuff? Well, that's where, if the truth be known, Mary Magdalene was really the Holy Grail. You could go on and on about this junk. But... That's uh that's one of the uh common rumors. Now it it says here, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass as they were much perplexed about thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Here we go again. Men. It appears men. But they appear as extraordinary men, put it that way. Okay? They don't ever appear as like ordinary men. Okay. People always know there's a difference. I believe sometimes they manifest in such a way where where you don't know at all, but many times in the Bible they appear and it's very 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 apparent okay and the reason I said there's sometimes they appear and you don't know at all is because of the next verse we're going to look at or the next verses we're going to look at um where, where we talk about how important are these beings? Well, let's read what Hebrew 13.2 states. Because this would be a time where you may not know at all that you're dealing with an angel. Hebrews 13.2 states, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So in other words, when involving themselves in human affairs, angels do not always if ever make it known that they are angels paul's instructions show the manner in which we are to respond to those who we entreat our hospitality to we should act as if they were god's own spiritual messengers our treatment of these strangers may have a direct bearing on the extent to which we receive angelic protection and intervention it's a good point so you may be you may have had who knows you may have had several interactions with angels in your lifetime and you may never even have known it I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that had, you know, these types of experiences that they believed that they were angels. Okay, also it's interesting to note that contrary to the popular concepts of angels being in the form of a woman or babies, Scripture always describes their appearance as that of men. Now, again, you have um, these other types of angelic beings like seraphim and cherubim, okay? But when you see these women angels... Or well, women angels with wings, and women angels with wings and halos, and these little cherubim babies going around like Cupid with his little bow and arrow. Totally, totally, totally unscriptural. Okay? It's demonic. I can explain it that way. But you cannot explain it biblically. And don't you think if you were God you would make a distinction? I mean, there would be some type of distinction. Well, we're, we're talking about that distinction today. And now we're going to start to look at the other side of that. Angels, the different varieties that we see in the Bible, and I'm not, I'm not including the seraphim and the cherubim, but those aren't ones that typically interact with men either, okay? Those are a special higher angelic order. Typically, I've never seen in the Bible where the cherubim and the seraphim interacted particularly with man, okay? But angels of different varieties do not have wings, or at least they are never depicted in that way in the Bible. Now everywhere we look we see if it if it is a man angel, he has wings. He's gotta have wings. But hold on, who gave us all of that originally? Where did all that start to come from? Came out of the occult. The Catholic Church has propagated it through the centuries. They've given us so many things that, that are that are heresy and blasphemy. It's unbelievable. I mean we, you could do you could do a study week after week of all the things the Catholic church has indoctrinated society into that is not even of God All angels normally look like human being men okay and we are we looked at those some of the scriptures but on certain occasions can display a glorious brilliance like in Daniel 10 5 and 6 we can just go there real quick Daniel 10 5 and 6 because you can't put God in a box and, you know, he's not always going to... These angels aren't, aren't going to appear the same way every time. Sometimes you're not even going to know. Now, in this particular case, <laughs> there's no doubt that we're dealing with a uh, high-level angelic being here. Daniel 10, verse 5. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphaz... His body was also like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. In other words, this was a high-level angel that was provoking great fear upon any that saw him, okay? I mean, these guys go and hide themselves real quick. And then, um, verse 8, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. Even Daniel. Now this is after Daniel, you know, a a true man of God, who had been on a 21-day, what we refer to now as Daniel fast, okay, he had no strength in him. It said, for my comeliness was turned into corruption. See, in the presence of true holiness, and and, and this angel was, you know, a holy angel of God, in the presence of true holiness, your own corruption becomes so apparent. And that's, you can see that all through scripture. You can see it all through there, like, um, where it talks about, I believe when Ezekiel went before the throne of God, and and he he said, um, you know, I am unclean, I am undone, you know. The closer you get to perfection and holiness, the more apparent your fault your shortcomings become, in other words, okay, so it said there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength, okay, so <laughs> you know he was he was done what is that though if you think about it, what is that what are these what do what does the Lord what do these high level angels in, uh, provoke in somebody or invoke i guess in somebody when they um Appear before them. Well, that's humility if you think about it. It's, there's no pride there. I had no strength in me. I had no comeliness. Comeliness means beauty. Okay. Verse 9. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, and set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved... Oh, that's something you want to hear. <laughs> Especially from this angel. <laughs> from any angel. O man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent... Notice it said, And he said unto me... Who? The angel. Always referred to in the masculine sense. He said unto me, O oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Uh, and then it said, and, he, and when he, again, had spoken this word, unto me, I stood trembling. He was still scared. <laughs> oh, man. And then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel... For from the first day when thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before God. What does that mean? He was on a 21 day. This is where we get the term Daniel fast. He hadn't drank any wine. He hadn't eaten any bread. Um, There was other things that he hadn't done in this particular... uh, It said in verse 3, or verse 2, it said In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. He was in mourning. Okay, I ate no pleasant bread, neither did came flesh or wine into my mouth. He didn't eat any meat. He didn't eat, drink any wine. He didn't eat any bread. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Okay. Now this is a form of a fast. You don't have to just do a water fast when you fast. There's different ways you can fast. This is one of the many ways. Uh, not many. I'm not saying there's 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 about three or four biblical precedents for fasting in the Bible. So if we go further, the angel told him that from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. Okay? So see, fasting can actually move the hand of God. Now I'm not saying God has to have that, but I'm saying that from a biblical perspective, fasting has always proven in the Bible to be a, a method to supercharge your prayers. Okay, but it's not something that's popular because it's crucifying your flesh. It's not fun to do. Okay, but the fact remains, it's a very, very powerful tool. Remember, Jesus said in the Bible, when they were talking about the specific type of devil or demon that had possessed this person, that this kind, this particular demon or devil, goes out, not but by prayer and fasting. So you have to pray and fast in order to deal with this particular type of devil. And when the apostles had come, they couldn't cast this devil out. And they went to Jesus and asked why. Because they hadn't applied the prayer and fasting element, so it is very important. And then it says here in one other point, it says in verse thirteen, um, this angel said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to reread that so I can so verse thirteen will make sense. Um, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God when He fasted, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words, but." Why, what, why wasn't his prayer answered like that? Why wasn't that the case? Well, here's why. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, Michael the archangel. Okay, now this is an archangel. Michael. Okay, this is different than, I believe, just a, um, the regular angels. There's, there's different, it's just like, you know, in the military. There's different ranks. Okay, Michael is probably the highest order of archangel that there is. At least as far as mentioned in the Bible. It said Michael one of the chief princes. is referred to as a prince. Or an archangel. Came to help me. This is this particular angel that appeared before Daniel. He had to have help. Because this prince of Persia. Prince of the kingdom of Persia. Which is a fallen angel. That was over a particular jurisdiction of land. In this case it was Persia. This is what was hindering him. But through but through um, Daniel's fasting and prayers, this is what helped Michael and this other angel actually burst through at the end of this 21 days and answer his prayers. See, it's really like teamwork, if you, if you think about it. So it says, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Um, so anyway, that's interesting portion of scripture there. Uh, Now, let's go on to the subject of women angels with wings. Zechariah 5. Zechariah 5, if we go to that. And let's start in... um, Start in verse 5. Now, this is... It starts in verse 5, and it says... And then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. Now, this is an angel that is talking to Zechariah and showing him this vision. That's all this is. Okay, when we we look at this particular um, portion of scripture. And then I said, meaning Zechariah, to the angel, I said, what is it? He's showing him this vision, okay? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, there is the resemblance throughout all the earth. Now, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go back through it again. Because it's not going to make sense to you the first time I read it. Okay? Um, and behold, there lifted up a talon of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it in the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and heaven, and then said unto the angel that talked with me, Whether do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it in a house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established, and set thereupon upon her own base. Okay, now, we're going to go back through this now. Because that's not an easy portion of scripture to interpret if you just read it right off the off the bat. You have to have some terms that are kind of defined here um, to understand this a little bit further. And he said, what is it? Okay, verse 5. And the angel talked with me and went forth and he said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what th- that is that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? So, Zechariah is looking at this vision, and he said, notice it says he, the angel, again we have confirmation that it's a, it's a masculine angel, he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. Now, in this particular instance, when we talk about the word ephah, the biblical usage of the word ephah is either a dry measure of quantity equal to what they call ten omers, or nine imperial gallons, okay, that's the, if you want to get the tec- technical definition but it could also be a receptacle for measuring or holding that same amount. Okay, so an ephah could mean the receptacle holding that much, or it could actually be referring to the receptacle and whatever is in the receptacle. Okay, whether it be grain or whatever. Okay, so when it talks about an ephah, that's what we're talking about. Now, in this particular part of Scripture, this ephah is in reference to the receptacle. Not so much a receptacle full of grain, and we're going to see why that has to be in a second. Verse 7. And behold, there was lifted up a talon of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. So there was a woman sitting in the midst of this receptacle. Okay, that, that Zechariah was getting this vision of. Then we go to verse 8. And he said, again it says he, the male angel, said, this is wickedness. Okay, so what Zechariah was looking at was wickedness. The whole scene was wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah. I believe what they're referring to is the casting the talent of lead that they just mentioned in verse 7 into the midst of the ephah. And he casts the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. And that's what confirms it there. So in other words, there's a woman sitting in the midst of this receptacle ephah, okay, this container, and this angel casts this um, talon of lead upon the mouth of the receptacle. Almost like putting her inside it. We go further into verse 9. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women. So here's two more women. And the wind was in their wings. Wings? Women? Where else do we see that in the Bible? You don't. The only time you're going to see women with wings is in all this New Age stuff. Like all these... I mean, my mom is obsessed with these women angels. She's got them all over. But you know what? My mom hates God. My mom doesn't want anything to do with the Bible. But yet, she has no problem having women angels with wings thinking that they're her little guardian angel protector things. Why would that be? Who is attracting her to those types of images? It's sure not God. But yet, they make her feel, I guess, religious or something. But she has no biblical precedence for it. Nothing. So, and and all through the New Age, you can go up there and see all these women angels with wings. Oh, they're good angels, they're here to... No, no they're not. There's only one time in the Bible they're described and they're referred to as wickedness. Now, if you bring those things into your house, it's like bringing a cursed object into your house. And that's not a light matter. But we do it all the time. Because we're being destroyed for lack of knowledge, like Hosea 4.6 says. My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject thy children. So there's a great um, danger in rejecting knowledge. You bring these woman angels into your house thinking, oh, it's no big deal. You're bringing a cursed object into your house. And guess what? There's demons attached to that thing. You've just given them rights and entrance into your house. Well, I can't understand why, since I brought this thing into my house, I've, I've had nothing but bad luck. or Whatever happens all the time people have went and look at look in the bible what you can say well where in the bible is it talk about this well look at the battle of jericho when god said when you go into jericho because everything is so cursed in that city don't take anything out of the city kill everything and basically other than um the lady that took the spies in she was the only family that was not that was actually spared in that whole battle. But if you go further, and you look at that thing, they were not supposed to take one thing out of that city, because all the objects were cursed. Okay? Now that's God's business. It's not mine. That's God's business. He laid down those ground rules. Well, the one man named Achan couldn't help himself, and it said that he took himself wedges of silver in a Babylonian garment, and he brought it, And after the battle, he hid it in his tent. And then they go to the next battle at Ai, and they lose, I don't know, they lose like 20 to 30 men in the next battle. Well, when that happened, they went back to the Lord. They said, why do we lose this battle? And they said, because there's sin in the camp. He had brought these cursed objects into the camp, and it affected things so much that they lost the next battle in the promised land that they were supposed to take. What did they have to do? They brought Achan out, his family, and they stoned him." I mean, that was a really severe judgment, okay? But from that point on, they won the battles after they had eliminated this sin from the camp. So that's how important these types of issues are. I mean, we don't think any of it today. We would bring all kind of cursed objects in our house, and, oh, no, it's not. The devil's not real today. He was back then, but he's not now. Well, it's not really what the Bible indicates. So, if we go further, it said, the wind was in their wings, for they had the wings... Like the wings of a stork. Now that's important too. In regard to their wings, it is described as a stork. Which is one of the many unclean birds described in the Bible. Did you know that? A stork in the Bible is not the bird that delivers babies. Okay? Like the classic pickle commercial guy. It's not that. Okay? The stork is actually an unclean bird. And in Leviticus 11, verse 19 and 20, it says, And the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat, I mean, bats, you have no idea, you know, that's like, kind of a no-brainer as far as knowing that's an unclean bird. But all these are described in the same passage, and it says, All fowls that creep, going on all four, meaning on all four legs, shall be an abomination unto you. So, in other words, these were birds that you, you would never eat. Okay, and they were actually considered an abomination. An unclean bird in the Bible. So, when we, when we, say, when we have the angel giving Zechariah this vision, okay, and he says, and he says to him in verse 8, that this vision, that everything you're basically seeing here, is wickedness. And then we have this description of two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, which is an unclean bird. You know, it's not exactly an endorsement for women, angel with wings, I, you know, I just don't see it. But some people will actually use this, and they, you know, as their proof text. And then it said, and they, and they, these women with wings, lifted up the ephah, the ephah that had the lead over the mouth that had the woman in the ephah. They lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. And they said, then said I unto the angel that talked with me. Whither did these bear the ephah? So he said, he said to the angel, "Where are they taking this ephah?" With so you got you've got the women angels with wings that are actually taking this ephah receptacles between heaven and earth, okay? And there's a woman inside the ephah, and there's a talon of lead over the covering. And Zachariah is like, "Where, where, where are they taking this ephah?" Well, verse 11, the angel answers, and he said unto me, again they refer to the angel as a hymn, a masculine, in the masculine sense, to build it in house in the land of Shinar. So they're taking this ephah to the land of Shinar. And we're going to discuss that in a second. And it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Hmm, Shinar. So they're taking this, this whole vision is wickedness. You got the woman angels with wings, you got the woman in the ephah, the towel wet over it, and Zechariah's like, where are they taking this thing? This, this wicked thing. Where are they taking it? Well, they're taking it to Shinar. What is Shinar? The biblical uses of the word Shinar is the country of two rivers. The ancient name for the territory known as Babylonia. <laughs> it's Babylon! Which is always referred to, or Chaldea, which is always referred to in the negative sense. It's essentially where, you know, the Tower of Babel, Babylon, where Nimrod was king, where essentially, you know, witchcraft really got its... In the Babylonian mystery religions, which which ultimately evolved into a lot of the religions that we have today, particularly the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, that's where they took it. Again, not exactly an endorsement. The, The two places in Scripture that are typically referred to the most negative on the planet Earth is Egypt and Babylon. Those places are usually always referred to in the negative sense in Scripture, if you compare Scripture to Scripture. So... Again, not exactly a good endorsement. And then it says, it says in the very end, it says, the, it's going to be taken to the land of Shinar, and it shall be established, and, and set there upon her own base. Now that word base means resting place. So they're taking this wicked thing to Babylon to its resting place. Well, you know, again, not exactly an endorsement. So, if we go further... I just want to make sure I've uh, I covered everything here. I'm just going to read a, a note out of out of my Bible. This is another kind of way of looking at this. In the vision of the Ephah, the local and the prophetic elements are to be distinguished. The elements are the Ephah or measure, a woman in the Ephah, a sealing weight upon the mouth of the Ephah containing the woman, the storked wing woman whose only function is to bear the Ephah, and the woman away to Babylon or Shinar. So that's like a little synopsis of what I just said. Uh, symbolically, a measure, or this ephah, stands for something that has come to the full. So that God's judgment must ensue. Okay, Because God will always judge wickedness, eventually. A woman, in a bad ethical sense is a symbol of something that is religiously out of place. Now, I'm not being chauvinistic here. I'm talking about when we have these women here, and they're described as wickedness, it's a symbolic of something that is religiously out of place. Like Jezebel, and the priests of Baal. Okay? She was in a sphere of of influence there, basically guiding the priests of Baal, that God never called her to, ever. (coughs) What's another example? Well, the woman in Thyatira who has suffered not to teach, who they refer to as Jezebel, in Revelation 2.20. And also, the Babylonian phase of the apostate church is symbolized by an unchaste woman, sodden with the greed and luxury of commercialism. Where does it say that? In Revelation 17, 1-6, Revelation 18, verse 3, and 11-20. Revelation 18. Now, I'm not going to go into all those verses, but I'm just saying that to make a point. There. Not to be chauvinistic or anything like that, it's just, you know, this is just kind of uh, the way it's represented in Scripture. Now, since we're on this subject, many times you'll see these angels, uh, these women angels with wings, and they have halos. And this is another thing the Catholics have totally brought in to supposed Christianity. Because so many times when you read about ancient history and these types of things, they refer to the Catholics as the Christians. Now, the Bible says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay? But the problem is, is that term Christian has gotten a really bad name because so many people have taken on that moniker, essentially. I mean, the Mormons believe they're the only true Christians. The Catholics believe they're the only true Christians. But they're not Bible-believing Christians. Okay? And I don't put any denominational label on it. Because I don't really see dom- denominational labels being, there being a precedent for that in the Bible. So, this whole subject of halos that we see. Where did that come from? I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis. We could do a real thorough study on this. But, in this, um, this is from a uh, study by a guy named Timothy Youngblood. Halos and sun worship in Christianity. This is just an excerpt. In the second page we will see more abominations of sun worship. And how sun worship has crept into the Christian religion. And has been blindly accepted by the masses. Many Protestant churches that claim they have separated from the church of Rome did not complete the separation. They brought with them the pagan sun god of Ra or Horus. Ever heard of the god Ra? the The sun god. Okay, or Horus. Or Tammuz. Tammuz was the sun god. And on December 25th, we all get around and we celebrate his birth. The birth of the sun god, Tammuz. That's what the pagans did way before modern day supposed Christmas worship was ever celebrated. Back then it was called Saturnalia. Because they worshipped the god Saturn. The Romans did this. They worshipped the sun god Tammuz as well. They just repackaged it under different names. So halos, where do we get this from? Another sign of sun, and if you have any questions about that, just listen to my teaching on, I call it Xmas. Okay, um, you can go up there and scan my, uh, my sermons if you go to my home page and you want to know about any particular subject a lot of times I'll include it in the title and all you have to do is go to my homepage, and there's a little box there you can do a search for and you can put like, let's say Xmas or Christmas in there and it'll, it'll locate the uh, teaching for you and you can do that with any, with any preacher up there as well on Sermons Audio. So, halos, which are another sign of sun, sun worship, halos are pictured as a luminous ring or a light disc that surrounds an object. Webster's Dictionary describes a halo as the aura of glory, veneration, or sentiment surrounding an idealized person or thing. Now, right there, there's a problem. Because we're only supposed to worship the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God. We're not supposed to go around worshiping people. Because this is a sign of veneration and glory. Okay? Now, what do the Catholics do? That's what they do. They actually pray to these dead saints. Which is really, in a way, necromancy. Which is basically like communication with the dead. You don't pray to people that are dead. They do this a lot in the Orient, too. In Confucianism, they have what they call ancestor worship. Where they worship their ancestors. There's no biblical precedent for that. They're either in heaven or hell. And wherever they are, they're not going to be the one to answer your prayers. Okay? So, this is uh, one of the things that the Catholic Church has used for a long time. The golden or jeweled crowns worn by royalty, meant to signify their, quote, divine right to rule, were originally modeled after using the halo. But it was the ancient pagans that originated this practice of using the halos or the sun disks. in every single practice that the Catholic Church adopted is paganism repackaged, essentially. We're going to be talking more about this in upcoming weeks, too. And you're going to be really shocked to understand some of the symbols that are in Christianity are actually totally pagan and totally ungodly. And I'm not going to say any more than that for for right now. But, these halos were also called sun disks, or Egyptian sun disks, the Egyptians used them, to signify the divinity... Of the sun god Ra, many of the customs and much of the icons of our world's religions were adapted from paganism. The sun worship is what spawned the use of these sun disks in pictures and graven images. People who worshipped the sun emulated its rays by wearing rings of or feathers or leaves on their heads. And anytime you ever seen like Indian chiefs wear the the feathers and they look like rays coming out. That's another way of portraying that. Okay. Halos commonly appear in so-called Christian religious art as a symbol of saintliness or divinity. And it's it's the farthest thing from the truth, okay? But that's how they're always portrayed, you know. The truth is that the halo did not come into Christian art until the 3rd century, at the time when the pagan religions were suppressed and the halo fell into disuse among them. And it was about the same time the Catholic Church grabbed it in 318, 318 A.D., through Constantine, who then started amalgamating paganism and pseudo-Christianity together, so we could be all one big happy apostate family and come together under the role of the Catholic banner. That's when it started. In the beginning, the Catholics only had the halo around the portrayals of Jesus. But, by the 5th century, halos were used for the goddess Mary. And I say goddess Mary because they worship her as Mary goddess Mary. And now she appears all over the world in all these apparitions and says, oh, I am the co-redemptrix. You have to come through me in order to get through Jesus. Or you have to get saved through me and Jesus. Because, see, I'm his mom, and I'm the only one that, that can placate and deal with my son. So you have to come through me. Well, what does that tell you about those apparitions? That they're lying. They're totally contradictory to the word of God. These are just basically fallen angels that are appearing in a certain form, and they're deceiving all these people. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. Now there's a there's a video that you can go watch online. I can send you this if if uh, if you if you do a keyword search for Catholicism on my sermons and you find I've done several, you'll find a PDF with that and you can go and click into that PDF and it's this big long thing exposing all the pedophilia, child molestation, all the un godly things the Catholic Church has done. All the millions of people they killed during the Inquisition. Oh yeah, that's real Christian. Go around and just kill everybody and slaughter them. Oh, but God told us to do it. Oh no, he didn't. The devil did. But anyway, I expose the whole thing in there and there's a there's a video you can watch um, on these Marian apparitions. Okay, and it's, it's entitled Messages from Heaven or you can do a keyword search for it. You can go watch it online for free. And it'll, it'll, it takes you through all this and it compares what these visions are saying with the Bible. And you're going to quickly see that these Catholics are being lied to in droves. But see, you know, they want that bro-cream religion. The little dabble, do you? They want that religion that goes and tickles their flesh. They can go see all these visions and feel all real spiritual and religious. Think they're earning their way into heaven. But the Bible doesn't say we, we earn our way to heaven says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, they're doing it of works, so they can boast about it. Oh, look, I'm such a good Catholic. Most Christians do the same thing. Or most Hindus or Buddhists, they're all, well, look at me, I'm such a good spiritual person. That doesn't mean anything to God. It's a gift the gift of Jesus Christ, you either freely receive or you either freely reject. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay? But it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what all these other religions do. They boast about how spiritual they are, and all this other stuff. It's all a joke. So, if we go further, um... So by the 5th century, these halos were used by the goddess Mary... And they were also portrayed on angels and on their saint gods, these these saint ones they worship. So let's call it what it is, it's sun worship. Okay. So that's the uh, end of that particular study, and we'll go to our second part shortly.